We're so glad that you're here with us this week. As always, we're upholding you in prayer whenever and wherever you are. As always, be sure to give us a like on Facebook and check us out at www.shumcokc.org. Wherever and whenever you are, I'm glad that you're here to worship with us today. So welcome, whether you're on campus or online, to Southern Hills United Methodist Church. Uh, We have a number of cool things, fun things that are happening and some great ways for you to participate. One of them is happening today. Um, Today, immediately following this service, we're going to have our first members meeting of the year. Um, We started those right at the very end of last year, at the beginning of fourth quarter. Uh, The first of those meetings this year is going to be today, right after the service. So we'll take about a 10-minute break. We'll come back together. Whether you are on campus or online, we're going to be streaming that service, and we'll also be um, obviously offering that on campus here. So participate in whatever way works best for you. It's going to be a good opportunity to learn about some of the things that we're planning on doing. To begin, uh, we have a, a new set of members on our administrative team, which, is, which functions as the leadership board of the church. And so we're going to introduce them to you, let you know uh, what their positions and roles are. And then you're going to have an opportunity also to hear from the members of our family ministries team. Uh, you're going to hear about some of the things that we're excited about that are coming up this year. And then I'm going to finish up that time after a couple of other administrative reports by sharing with you a strategic plan for a 10-year vision here at Southern Hills. Uh, It's time for us to take a look at who God is calling us to be and where the Holy Spirit is leading us in the next decade. So a copy of that plan is going to be available for you here. It's also going to go out uh, within the next week, both on our email blast and there will be a link through our text service to, to get a copy of that as well. So if you're interested in that, if you're not currently getting emails and texts and you like to, just send us a message, let us know. We'd be glad to get you connected so that we can make sure that you are. So I'd love for you to be there because you're going to learn about some of the neat things that are going to be starting in the very near future um, with some opportunities that I think you're going to find a great deal of meaning in. So we'll look forward to having you there. All right, so we are working our way through um, a series about today the varieties of gifts of the Spirit. Uh, And that puts us in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was struggling to figure out how to be a church because the way they were coming together in community was different than the way that the people of Corinth had been accustomed to coming together into community. So they were looking at having to dramatically change uh, sets of cultural norms that had been ingrained for generations, and people were not taking, that, uh, taking to that very well, including the people who were coming together to be a part of the Christian community. And so one of the things that Paul does is to remind the people of the gifts that they've been given by the Spirit for the purpose of contributing to the common good. Today we're going to talk about a couple of important lessons that this passage has for us about your spiritual gifts. The Scriptures are holy. And before we consider them, we should pray together. Let's do that. God, we are grateful for today. We're grateful for where and what we've come from to get to today. We're grateful for the journeys that have led us here, for the people who have been a part of those journeys, for the lessons that we have learned as we've walked those roads. We're grateful, God, for the ways in which you've intervened to bring us here today. 
And we're grateful, God, for what you intend to do within our hearts today. God, we pray that as a result of our time together, that we might know you better, that we might know ourselves better as we seek to rest in you. So that as we take a step beyond today and into tomorrow, we might do so as people who are more self-aware, more aware of who you are, of who you're calling us to be, and of who we are in you and what it means to rest in your great love. So God, I pray for those of us today who seek to study, who seek to learn, who seek to grow, that as a result of our time together, you might open our hearts and our minds and our spirits so that we will better know you. This we ask in your holy name. Amen. I, uh, I absolutely love dogs, so you probably, you know that. If you've been uh, following my teaching for any length of time, you've already seen pictures of Gus and Abby. I love Gus and Abby to death, so I have, I've always had dogs, always, I've always had dogs. Gus and Abby are the two dogs that are mine right now. Now, I'm being a little disingenuous, because technically Kate and I have four of them, uh, but Kate has two, and I have two, and they couldn't be more different from one another. The fact that they all get along is remarkably strange. Um, Kate's little dogs are, uh, she's got a little dog that we rescued from a uh, uh, shelter. We paid a $5 rescue fee. No idea what Mirabelle is. Uh, she's a mixture of some different kinds of dogs, but she's about like this big, you know, and she's the loudest thing in our whole block in the neighborhood. Um, but we, we rescued her for $5. She's gotten out four times over the course of the last few years, and as a result of which I have paid uh, $50 each time I had to rescue her from doggy jail. Uh, so she has not, by in any stretch, earned her keep yet. She's a wonderful little puppy. We also have a Yorkshire Terrier, also about the same size. Um, th those are both Kate's dogs, but mine are... Pitbull mixes, and I love them to death. Uh, Gus is a pit lab mix, you've seen pictures of him. Abby is a pit and blue healer mix, and you've seen pictures of her as well, and they are two of my very best friends. They want nothing more than to be in the same room that I'm in, doing whatever I'm doing. As long as they're in the same room that I'm in, they're happy, and it doesn't hurt if I have some Parmesan cheese with me. I don't know how for sure that happened. I guess I went through, so you know I love to cook too, right? Cooking is one of my favorite things to do. I'm gonna be making an Italian dish later today um, when Megan and uh, hopefully Chris, when he gets off work, will be joining us for dinner later this afternoon. I must have gone through a phase where I was using Parmesan cheese for a lot of things. But I remember this one day where I was preparing something and I had to grate some Parmesan cheese. But I remembered that I had this relative who used to feed pieces of cheese to her dogs, and they loved it. So I cut off a little slice of Parmesan cheese, and I tossed it to Gus, and he loved it. And I tossed it to Abby, and she loved it, and the rest was history. Now, I don't, Kate makes fun of me for this, I don't even purchase uh, those little, like, dog treat biscuits anymore. I just get a block of Parmesan cheese every time I go to the grocery store, and Gus and Abby absolutely love it. I love my dogs. I've always loved my dogs. But I didn't always have... Uh, pit bull mixes. You know, they, they get a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, often they come across as, as aggressive, and for sure, uh, dogs can be aggressive. But pit bull mixes are fierce in the sense that they're fiercely loyal to the families that they love. 
Um, Gus and Abby, I've not, I've not even been able, I've tried, I haven't been able to convince them that they're not lap dogs. They stand about this tall, and I've got two of them, and, and they will see which one of them can get into my lap first over the course of the last two years. The lap that they sit in, uh, my lap has gotten substantially smaller as I've taken on running, so they can't both fit there anymore. So now they'll see who can get there first. I'm never going to try any longer because I won't be able to convince them. Another interesting thing about those two dogs is that they don't handle the, the cold temperature, like today's cold temperatures, very well. So I'll take them outside, you know, for short periods of time, just a few minutes at a time, three or four times a day. But I'm always grateful this time of year for people who are animal lovers, who will seek to remind all of us that dogs don't handle those temperatures very well, don't leave them outside for very long. Uh, particularly Gus and Abby, they, they're short hair dogs, so they don't have, uh, they don't have the, the warmest coat to wear when they're outside. Now, they have other gifts, like there's other things that they do really well other than just being loyal. Like one of the things about any pit mix or any pit bull um, that's kind of generally true is that they're not so prone to wanting to be with another family. Transitions for them are harder. When they attach and connect, they attach and connect, right? They're also, my dogs are great swimmers. Well, that's not true. Abby's a great swimmer. Gus is getting over this terrible fear that Gus had of the water, and I don't know where it came from, but he finally stepped into the water just this year, just enough to get down to his elbow, and then it got cold, and he's still thinking about whether or not he wants to get all the way in. Abby will run and jump straight into the water, no matter what else is going on in the world, or her life, or my life, she will run and jump into the water. Absolutely loves it, loves to swim, does a great job. But I haven't always had pits. There was, there was a time in my life when I fell in such deep love with a Siberian Husky and Malamute mix that I had uh, found at a, a rescue for Siberians and Malamutes along the Gulf Coast when Kate and I were living in Mobile, Alabama. Found him there, uh, named him Waya which is the Cherokee word for wolf. I, I speak Cherokee reasonably well, at least conversationally well, and I'm grateful for, the, for that and for that that was passed down to me. I thought that was terribly clever at the time because he kind of looked like a wolf. It wasn't, but I thought it was. And his best friend was another little dog that we found at a rescue. So Waya was a Malamute and Siberian mix, and he stood about this tall, right? About this, this uh, long, he was a uh, just under 100 pounds. His best friend was Yona, also thought that was terribly clever because it's the Cherokee word for bear and Yona was only like this big, right? They were the best friends. They did everything together. It was the cutest thing in the world to see this huge side Malamute mix together with, I don't know what Yona was, but they were inseparable. They went, they went everywhere together. Well, I fell in love with Waya so much that I started to learn everything I could about the breed. Wanted to make sure I was being a responsible dog owner, so I bought a couple of books about Siberians and Malamutes, similar uh, in, in the way that they approach the world and in what it, what's required to take care of them properly. But I also talked to my veterinarian to, to make sure that I, I knew what to do and how to do it appropriately. And I learned some things I never would have guessed. Did you know, for instance, that Siberians and Malamutes have a double coat. You didn't know you were going to get all this this morning. You're like, I'm learning everything about, don't worry, this is free and it's all for you, so you're going to go away knowing all the things about dogs. They have a double coat, right? They have an undercoat, and then they have a really thick overcoat 
Now, people, uh, especially when they have these dogs in warm environments, they'll shave their coats thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing this nice thing by making, making it so that my dog can be cooler when it's so hot outside. It gets very hot here. It gets very hot and humid down on the Gulf Coast where I first found Wyeth. But the problem is, my veterinarian told me this, the book said the same thing. If you shave the coat of a Malamute or a Siberian, it will not grow back properly. And it'll hardly grow back at all which means that you take away one of the things that uniquely gifts them for the environment that they're actually created for because that double coat has the singular effect, listen to this, because I never would have believed it at first if I hadn't read it. Then I asked my veterinarian about it. I tend to trust my veterinarian because my veterinarian has been through a really difficult veterinary program to learn the things that I don't know. So I asked my veterinarian about it just to confirm that what I was reading was true. Sure enough, it was. You can look it up for yourself. That double coat has the effect of making it possible for Sibes and Malamutes to survive in temperatures ranging down to negative 70 degrees. They're okay, I can survive it. They're pretty much okay to temperatures ranging down to negative 50 degrees. But they thrive in temperatures between negative 10 and about 20 degrees. That's their favorite range. Now it's not that cold here. It's been cold lately, right? And I've wanted so badly for Oklahoma weather to make up its mind about whether it's going to be warm or cold this season. What was it, Christmas Day? It was like 80 degrees outside. And then a week later, it was freezing outside. And I was having to turn on the taps on the faucet, leave them on at night at a drip so nothing froze. I know that there's an old adage about Oklahoma that if you don't like the weather, you can wait 15 minutes and it'll change, but I really found myself wishing this year that it would make up its mind, and I was lamenting about that to my daughter, Robin. I am so excited about this. Uh, a week from today, I'm not going to be with you in person. Uh, we'll have a, a virtual message that I'll be sharing with you that day. Wherever and whenever you are, it'll look exactly like this. Um, like what you're seeing on the screen, except I won't be here because on Thursday, Kate and I are flying up to Syracuse. My oldest daughter, Robin, works in the hospitality industry in a town about 70 miles north of Syracuse. Just so happens to be the same town that I was stationed in when I was in the army there. And she's decided to go ahead and move home down here to be with us. Uh, she had a great interview this week with a hotel that's opening in downtown Oklahoma City as the front office manager. She's well qualified for it, so I'm excited about it. So Kate and I are flying up Thursday, packing her up and driving a, a U-Haul back together with her over the course of the next few days. By this time next week, if all goes well, Lord willing, we'll be pulling into our home uh, here in Oklahoma City. So we're excited about it. We're talking with Robin. Uh, Kate and I were trying to, to, you know, get kind of some insider information to find out how much she had packed so we knew how much we were going to have to pack when we got there. And she's like, oh, and Dad, I forgot to tell you something. And I said, what? And she said, well, it's cold here. And I said, I know, I assumed that um, because I've, I've been there before. And she said, no, I mean, it's really cold. She said it's negative 11 today with a wind chill of negative 28 degrees. And she said it's supposed to be in the negative uh, negative digits when you are up here next week. It can be really cold outside. Well, I fell in love with uh, Wyeth so much that I developed a relationship with a, a local kill shelter. And every time they had a Siberian or an Alaskan um, Malamute that they could not adopt out, they called me and I came over, picked it up, fostered that dog and found a home for it myself. We never really had more than three or four dogs at any given time, and we found homes for probably close to a dozen or so, I guess, over the, the, the time that we did that. 
but it never failed. Never failed. You know, every time, uh, well, with Waya, the first time we got Waya down on the Gulf Coast and moved from the Gulf Coast up to uh, Nebraska, where we worked for a time while we were waiting for our first appointment in the United Methodist Church here in Oklahoma. So I worked for Lincoln Public Schools. I was an Indian education advocate. Kate was working in talent acquisition. But we brought Waya with us, and he had never, because he grew up on the Gulf Coast, never seen the snow before. So we're sitting in our house one day, it was a, like a split level house, and the top level opened up onto a little deck that you could walk some stairs down into the backyard, right? Um, and so we're sitting in our house one day in the, in the winter when we get our first snow. It's like eight inches of snow or something like that. And Waya can't figure out what this is. Like he's standing at that back uh, patio door, sliding door, window door, looking out at the snow, can't figure out for the life of him what he's seeing. And I think this is hilarious, you know. So I open the door and I try to encourage him to go outside. He puts one foot in the snow and backs away from me and looks at me like, Dad, what is this evil thing that has happened outside, you know? Finally, I get him to go outside Yonah, the little dog, goes right behind him. We promptly lose Yonah in the snow and only find him because he starts jumping up out of the snow. We get him back inside. But for the life of us, we can't get Waya to come back inside. He will not come in. He ends up loving the snow so much, he wanted to stay out and play all afternoon. Eventually, I had to coax him with treats, not Parmesan cheese, because I didn't know that trick yet, back into the house. Inevitably, once that time of year came around, uh, my dog's energy levels would increase. However many sibes or malamutes I had at the house at the time, their energy level would go up the colder it got outside, and they would want to spend more and more time outside. And, as it is uh, part and parcel for that time of year, people with the best of intentions, who didn't know what they didn't know, would often find me and chastise me for leaving my dogs outside too long, which always gave me an opportunity to offer a little bit of education. My dogs, those dogs, were uniquely gifted. Part of what Paul is saying in this passage, there are two important points that I want to draw out for you today, and the first of them that Paul is saying is that you are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely given, given unique gifts by God that help you to thrive in the environment that you've called to. My dogs, why in particular, and the other dogs that we fostered during that time, those dogs were uniquely gifted to thrive in the environment that they had been created for. It was the right place for them. It was the perfect place for them. Gus and Abby and Waya don't thrive in the same environments. They share much in common, but there's much that's different about what the, those kinds of dogs and what they are. Abby and Gus are fiercely loyal, love people, but fiercely loyal to the family they're a part of. Uh, Waya had a totally different character trait. Sibes, in particular, love humans. They're well known for it. The problem is, they don't care which human they're loving. So if they get away from you, there's a slim chance they're going to come back. They will go meet another family or another person and be just as happy in that home as they were in your home and just wish you the best and never think about you again. Whereas Gus and Abby will go to the ends of the earth to find me again. They share much in common, but there's much about them that is different, that uniquely gifts them for the environments that they're created to thrive in. Paul is trying to say something similar to us. We are given gifts uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts 
are unique to the environment that God's intended for us to thrive in. There's a difference between gifts and talents, at least the way those terms are used in the Scriptures. When we talk about spiritual gifts, for instance, like we are in this passage, we're talking about the unique things that God does through you that you can't do yourself to the degree that God does them. There are ways in which the Holy Spirit works through you to accomplish amazing things as you live into your calling. Talents, on the other hand, are skill sets that you and I develop on our own over time by hard work and determination. We get better at those things through learning more and putting what we learn into practice. We get better at those things. But the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives us, which often complement our talents, are, are, the, are gifts through which God works through us in ways that make us seem like we're almost a natural at something. You may have the gift of administration. You may have the gift of hospitality. You may have the gift of teaching. You may have the gift of discernment. You may have the gift of prophecy. You may have the gift of knowledge. There are a number of gifts identified in the Scriptures, many of them in this passage. If you've known someone who has the gift of hospitality, right? They can make anybody feel welcome. The gift of encouragement. Somebody who just always knows the right thing to say to help you to feel encouraged because of the relationship that they have with the Holy Spirit. And you may have looked at that and thought, man, I wish I could think of the right things to say to help people feel that encouraged all the time. Boy, I wish I had this, the gift of hospitality where I could make you feel like you're welcomed and wanted every single time you walk into my home. Or maybe you thought to yourself, boy, I wish I, I had the gift of explaining things to other people in a way that made sense, in a way that made them want to be motivated to take that knowledge and go do something with it. Gifts given by the Holy Spirit that almost make you seem like you're just naturally oriented towards something, when in reality you're naturally gifted by the Holy Spirit to do that thing. Those gifts complement your talents, but they also complement your calling. It's through our gifts, and Paul says that here and throughout the rest of much of this passage. Paul says our gifts are different, and that's by design. Why? Because our gifts are to be used to build up the community for the common good of the community, the common good of the body of Christ, the common good of creation, and they're different than the gifts that other people have. You and I don't have the same gifts because they're meant to complement one another. You're uniquely gifted. I'm uniquely gifted. And when our complementary gifts come together, we contribute to the common good of the body of Christ, um, our communities, our communities of faith, all of creation in a powerful way. And because we contribute in a powerful way, we accomplish much. Your gifts can also complement your calling, the, the way in which you're being called to contribute positively to your community, to the body of Christ, to the world. Probably the best example of that happens uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when post-resurrection, post the ascension of Christ. The Holy Spirit descends upon the uh, disciples who are in hiding at the time, descends upon them like tongues of flame on top of their heads. And all of a sudden, all of the people present hear the apostles proclaiming the good news of God and Jesus Christ in a, a language that the apostles had never learned, but was the original language of somebody who was present. There's two ways in which... Um, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is referenced in the Bible. One of them is what you would commonly encounter if you happen to have grown up in the Pentecostal church, a Pentecostal tradition like the Assemblies of God or a church denomination like that. The Pentecostal church, the Pentecostal denomination, as you may not be aware, came out of the Methodist church. 
about 100 years ago or so, came out of something called the Azusa Street Revival, which happened in a Methodist church at the time. Um, there, there was a growing belief that the church had stopped focusing on the spiritual gifts, the gifts given to the Spirit, and there was a renewed interest in what the Holy Spirit was doing and the gifts that the Holy Spirit has give, had given. So there was a revival to that effect. That revival spawned a new denomination. It was called uh, the Pentecostal Renewal because of its reference to Pentecost when that happened. And so the, de the denomination that was born out of that came to be called the Pentecostal denomination. And there are many churches within that denomination. Um, one of the things you'll experience in many churches like that is this, this one kind of speaking in tongues. So this kind is a, a, a version of speaking in tongues where you'll speak a, a, a language that's never been spoken on earth before. Sometimes it's called a heavenly language. Paul says when he writes about this in the scriptures that if somebody gets up and speaks that language in a gathering, which is where it's supposed to happen scripturally, somebody else should be given an interpretation of that. So it's a language nobody's ever heard before, a message uh, that is supposed to be coming from the Holy Spirit, and interpretation is supposed to be given to somebody within the same community. Paul says if that doesn't happen, then the person getting up to speak is doing it for their own self-aggrandizement and you should not listen to them. That's a common gift within that denomination. The other way that that gift is referenced in the scriptures is how it's referenced in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. When the apostles standing around, Holy Spirit comes down as a tongue of flames, and they start speaking in other languages. But they're languages that have been spoken, that are spoken in other places around the world. They're just not languages that the apostles ever learned. It would be like, I uh, just mentioned to you that I speak Cherokee reasonably well, right? It would be like you, all of a sudden, sharing the good news of God in, in Christ fluently in Cherokee, but you've never learned that language before, and it's not a part of your heritage. That's what happened at Pentecost. That's a way in which that particular gift of the Spirit also helped to complement the calling of the apostles who had been called to go to the ends of the earth and to share the good news of God and Jesus Christ. If you're called to do that, and to some degree we all are, if you're called to do that, if that's your primary mission, you need to go somewhere and share the good news of God and Jesus Christ in a relatable way. I don't know about you, but one of my first questions would be, okay, God, where am I supposed to go? What a great revelation if you're wondering where to go, and all of the sudden, you start speaking a language native to a region that you've never spoken before. It's like the Holy Spirit is saying, this is where you're going to go. Oftentimes, your gifts, whatever they are, will complement your calling. They'll help you to discern your calling because your gifts will be oriented to the mission field to which you're called. And then by using those gifts in the way that they've been allotted to you together with other members of your community who are also gifted with different kinds of gifts, go working into the mission field, into that calling together, you end up accomplishing much for the common good of the community, for the common good of the body. What is Paul saying? That you are uniquely There's another lesson here, though, and it's a lesson that I think is actually well fleshed out by a recent movie that I happened across that Disney just released. There's this movie called Encanto, which I believe translates to Enchanted. Uh, takes place in Colombia. Actually, had it in the wrong country earlier. Um, I was corrected. I was grateful for that. It takes place in Colombia, and it tells the story of this family who, in a time of great crisis, is given a gift, 
and that gift is an enchanted home, you know, and only the way that Disney can do that. By the way, spoiler alert, so um, if you don't want to know what happens in this movie, now would be the best time to get up and walk out or put earplugs in. But the house becomes enchanted in, in like the only the, the way that only Disney can do that, uh, similar to like Beauty and the Beast, but uh, even, even on a grander scale. But in addition to that, every member of this family receives a gift at a certain point in their lives, a special gift, a supernatural gift. And I'm watching this movie, right? Being the minister that I am, the theologian that I am, I can't help but connect the direct parallels between this passage, the spiritual gifts, and what Disney is communicating here. There's a direct reference there. They even incorporate uh, a Roman Catholic priest who is portrayed in a very positive way in the film, and I was grateful for that. There's a direct relationship here. One of the things that Disney is tackling is the Christian idea of spiritual gifts, and they tackle it, in my humble opinion, very well. Each member of the family is given a specific gift, and they're not all the same. And they don't know until um, through the movie, there's a process of discernment. You and I would call it discernment. It's done in the way Disney does it. Through a process of discernment, they're given that gift, and that gift is unique, but it's a specific gift that contributes to the common good of the community, right? One of the sisters, I think her name is Louisa, she's given the gift of strength. She has, she's, she's incredibly strong, right? So she uses that gift to help her family and help the community. For instance, like a bridge needs to be moved. So she picks up the bridge, she moves it, she sets it back down, right? A house needs to be moved. She picks up the house, she moves it, she sets it back down. A bunch of donkeys get out. This was one of my favorite parts of the movie. So she walks around, picks up all the donkeys together and puts them back where they belong. One of the other sisters, I think her name is Isabella, I'm probably getting that wrong, uh, her gift is to make things beautiful. She's incredibly graceful. Uh, she can put flowers anywhere she wants. They seem to be the same kind of flowers, at least at the beginning of the movie, but she can just make everything around her beautiful, right? Improve the, the quality of life, the beauty of the, of the world around her. Um, th there's a number of gifts that each of the members of the family end up getting, and they use those gifts to, the, to contribute to the common good of the community that they're in, to the point that two things happen. One is the community begins to rely on the gifts of the family. But the family begins to over-identify with their gifts and find their identities in what they do. Enter Mirabelle, one of the members of the family who on the day she's supposed to receive this gift doesn't receive one. And it's an embarrassment to everyone and everyone begins to be concerned because what if the gifts are going away? In fact, it's a Disney movie. Of course the gifts are going away. So they start to go away. The house loses its uh, nature as an enchanted home. And you find out then that there's been a prophecy that she's going to help uh, to, to bring all of the gifts back to everybody. It's a great movie. You should definitely go watch it. Here's where it comes down to. Um, Mirabelle ends up going to each member of the family to help them to realize as they've been living into the gifts they've been given. You know, for a long time, the church in its teachings, I would say over about two generations worth of our life together, has focused intently on calling discern your calling. You have a calling. Your calling is important. Your calling is going to make a, an important impact on the world, which is true, at least to a degree. But we forgot to say a few things. One of them is that you don't only have one calling. Calling is dynamic, not static. God is going to call you to different things. 
throughout the course and stages of your life. There was not only one thing you were ever supposed to do. The church forgot to say, I think, along the way. I think the church forgot to help us remember that you are more than your calling. And you're more than your gift. Mirabelle walks around to each member of her family. As they begin to lose their gifts, they begin to lose their identity. I cannot tell you, in the course of the church's teaching about calling, how many times over the course of my 20 years in ministry, I have counseled someone who falls into one of two categories, and it's common, so if you struggle with this, you're not alone. One of them is that they're coming to the end of their lives and they feel like they didn't accomplish the thing they were supposed to accomplish because they were called to it. The other is that we come to a place where for one reason or another, we've identified, listen to this, our calling, thinking there's one with our vocation, and our vocation comes to an end. Whether your vocation is paid or unpaid is irrelevant. We over-identify our vocation and our calling, and our vocation comes to an end. We lose our employment, or we retire from it. And because we've lived through a couple of eras in which maybe, without intending to do so, the church and other facets of American life have taught us to over-identify ourselves in two ways. Once with what we do, the other is with what we accomplish as a result of what we do. That when we no longer do what we do, or have failed to accomplish what we thought we were supposed to have accomplished through what we do, we end up with a crisis of identity. Who am I if not this? Who am I if I no longer do? Who am I if I didn't do what I was supposed to do? All of the members of the family in this movie begin to struggle with their identity as the thing that had uniquely identified them uh, based upon what they could do is suddenly removed from them. Anyway, it's a great movie. Mirabelle runs around and helps each member of the family to understand and learn that they are more than their gifts. You are more than your gifts. You are more than your calling. And you are more than what you accomplish in life. Said differently, one of the things that Paul wants us to know is that you are not loved because you are gifted. You are gifted because you are loved. You are not loved because of your calling. You are called because you are loved. You know, there's nothing. Of all the things I could be called to, of all the things you could be called to, of all the things we could come together and be called to do, there's not a thing that you and I can do that God cannot do perfectly, meaning better than we can. There's not a thing in all of creation that God needs you and I to do. And that means that God wants you. You are more than your calling. You are more than your gifting. Does that mean, pastor, that my gifts don't matter? No. No, you're gifted because you're loved. You're called because you're loved. And so when you put that love into practice, 
particularly through the combination of gifts and talents that leads you to the place in which you were made to thrive, you were gifted to thrive, then in that place as you thrive, together with others who are similarly gifted but also uniquely gifted to come together and complement you in that same place, doing something very similar. When you come into that place, use your gifts and your talents to thrive, then you make the world around you a better place. Calling is not that difficult to figure out. If you're called to know God, develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit and live together with God. Pastor, then what happens if we don't save the world? Well, you're never going to do that anyway. That's God's job, not yours. So put down the burdens that were never yours to carry. Louisa, the girl who has the gift of strength, what is being portrayed there is the gift of empathy, spiritual gift of empathy, to bear the burden of other people. If you've never understood the difference between sympathy and empathy, here it is. Sympathy is to care about what somebody else is going through. Empathy is when you, you share some of that pain with other people. And it's usually a relief for others when someone with the spiritual gift of empathy enters into that pain with them because it lessens the burden of the pain along that road. Part of what Louisa is showing here is a spiritual gift of empathy, right? One of the important messages in that movie that is going to be easily overlooked is that every time she picks up a burden, she also sets it back down. Do not carry the burdens that are yours to carry longer than they are yours to carry them. Set them down. You cannot save the whole world. You do not have gifts to save the whole world. Do what you're called to do. Contribute to the common good in the ways you're, you're called to contribute to the common good. But know that you are more than your gifts. You are more than your calling. What does that mean? That God wants you to live into a life outside of what you do as well. God wants you to love the life that you live. God did not create you to suffer and be miserable. God wants you to explore and learn and love and grow and enjoy living in the world that God created for you to enjoy living into. Set down. Carry the burdens that are yours to carry, but not longer than they're yours to carry them. Set them down. And don't carry the burdens that are not yours to carry. One of the best lessons, one of the best parts of the good news of God and Jesus Christ is that there is a Jesus Christ, and you are not it. So let Jesus be Jesus. And remember, while your gifts are unique and important, you're more than that. Would you pray with me? God, we are so very grateful for the unique ways in which you have gifted us and the manner in which the gifts you've given us complement the talents that we've worked on over the course of a lifetime to improve and how they complement the calling, help us to discern the, the mission field to which you've called us, how the gifts you've uniquely given us complement the gifts that you've uniquely given to other people. God, we give you thanks for those gifts. I pray that for those who are wondering right now what their gifts are, that you would help them to discover the ways, the unique ways in which you would seek to work through them for the benefit of all of creation. But I'm also grateful, God, that in your great love for us, you remind us that to you and in your eyes, we are more than that. We are more than what we accomplish. We are more than our calling. We are more than our gifts, that our identity rests in you and not in what we do. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to discover who we are in you, to have the freedom 
to set down the burdens, even the burdens that are ours to carry when it's no longer our time to carry them. That you would help us not even to pick up the burdens that are not ours to pick up. So that in doing so, God, even as we live into our gifts and we live into our calling, we can also live into the life and the identity that you've called us to explore, discern, and develop in you. Give us the freedom to discover an identity rooted firmly in a love that is proactive and sacrificial and unconditional. And as that love begins to fill us and heal us and transform, Help us also to be a people through whom that love flows, even as uniquely as we were made. In your name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Be sure to tune in next week.